You are listening to special pandemic coverage of the coronavirus on the John DePietro Show. And folks, good afternoon on this Monday. Right now it's 12.03, excuse me, on this Wednesday. On this Wednesday, my goodness, there's so much news. This portion of the John DePietro Show is brought to you by J.K.L. Engineering. Folks, call J.K.L. today. They'll keep you nice and cool in the summertime, nice and warm in the wintertime. Licensed in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. It's J.K.L. Engineering. Call them today at 401-351-7600. 401-351-7600-J.K.L. Engineering. Folks, let's bring him on on this Wednesday. Right now, it's 12.04 on this Wednesday. Governor Mundo press briefing coming up this afternoon at 2.30, at 2.30. But joining us right now from the Boston Globe is uh, reporter Dan McGowan. Good afternoon, Dan. Good afternoon, John. How are you? I'm very well. Hey, Dan, I want to start off with uh, the story that you have that really, I think this is the first of many. And it's going to come with the wave that we're about to you know, shift out of. And that is the coronavirus is destroying the state budget. And here's what it means. Um, I think, uh, you know, so far, as much as it's been difficult on the health end, the next part that we're going to start to focus on is going to be the economy, and it is not pretty. It is not pretty, and you're already seeing it. I'm sure you've, you've already seen today that, that uh, in the locals, you know, Warwick is laying off employees. Um, I think you're going to see a little bit more of that. And, you know, from the state level, it goes back to something you and I talked about last week. You know, the, the challenge here is you've got slowing, you know, you, you, they put off the income tax uh, uh, filings, you know, until after, uh, until July 15th. Uh, your sales tax has, you know, really fallen deeply. You've obviously got casino you know, or lottery revenue falling off the table. And what they're, what you're really seeing now is, uh, I think for the first time, you know, and this makes sense, you, you, you try to get through the, the initial phase of the virus, but for the first time, you're really starting to see kind of the experts take a hard look at what this is really going to mean. The striking thing, though, John, is that, you know, you hear estimates kind of outside of Rhode Island, but the Rhode Island Public Expenditure Council, which is kind of an authoritative source on, on budgetary matters in the state of Rhode Island, it puts out a report today, and they basically say, boy, it is, <laughs> we better hope the federal government helps us out because uh, we're not sure how bad this is. They say hundreds of millions of dollars potentially. Um, and, and, you know, I think for the first time what, what this is, a lot, a lot of listeners right now probably think, wait, I hear every year that there's a big $100 million you know, deficit. It never really comes back to affect me, you know, in, 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 in the grand scheme of things. I think this is one of those times where the, the, there's real fear that it will, right? There's real fear that maybe for the first time in a really long time you'll see cuts to education funding. Uh, potentially cities and towns could get really kind of raked over the coals, um, which would be a real challenge for them. And, and so we don't yet know the consequences, but you know, short of a, a real federal bailout, uh, there will be consequences. There's no question about it. Well, and when you were talking to the right person, and that is Mike DBS, who's the CEO of RightPEC. I mean, he had Brett Smiley's job. He knows what's there. He knows as well, if not more than anyone, what's there. And, and I agree with you, Dan McGowan. I just don't see there's no tricks here. There's no sharpening the pencil. The money is too large. And what's striking about the work situation is the fact that, according to Solomon, the unions would just said, how about the fact guaranteed no layoff of the year, you get to keep your job, and they, they turned it down because they were still insisting on a raise. 
Yeah, that's a, a terrible look, obviously. Uh, by the way, politically, a very smart play by, by Mayor Solomon to kind of put it out there and make it very clear what's happening. I think you're going to have to see, uh, you're going to see more of that, right? This is a challenge that, uh, you know, and early on, you remember the governor did this, certainly the mayor of Providence did this, where you started to ask questions, you and I, and certainly others in the press, hey, what about furloughs for state employees? What about layoffs in local government? And the initial answer, which is a, actually a reasonable one, was, hey, we don't want to add to the unemployment rate, right? We've already got a major problem here. Every person that has a restaurant job in the state is out of work and, and that kind of thing. And you hear that initially, and you know, depending on where you stand and, and, and where you stand on you know, government employees, you, you could think uh, different things about it. But it's not, an, it's not a completely unreasonable thought. The problem is, is that this, that all relied on the hope that hopefully things will get back to normal in 90 days, right, in maybe... 120 days. Now we're in this situation, though, where nobody knows really how long this is going to be. Uh, nobody quite understood, because we've never seen it before, how much an actual, uh, essentially a shutdown, you know, not essentially, a shutdown of the economy, what it actually means, right? I, I'm not sure everybody could quite fathom having 150,000 plus unemployment claims filed in the span of a month. And so now you're in this situation where you're, you're if you're a Providence, if you're Warwick, and you have you know municipal employees that are, let's say DPW workers, they're tasked with you know picking, cleaning up the the fields that no one's on, and uh, you know doing all kinds of work like that. This does become a time where you almost have to start to consider those options because it's the only way you're going to be able to balance budgets. So I think you're going to see more kind of collisions with the unions, particularly those those uh, municipal employee unions. So you're not going to see police and fire at this point, I don't think. Um, I, I don't think you're going to see teachers, because in theory, teachers are still teaching from distance learning, and students will be back in the fall. I think your real thing here is those, those DPW employees, the other municipal employees, the clerks, things like that, where... They're, they're not working, they're, they're, they're generally at home, um, and the longer they stay, the more they're collecting a paycheck while the, while the cities are going broke. Dan McGowan, and folks, good afternoon at 1210. It's John DePietro speaking with Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe. Dan, just for our purposes, I want to replay. This was when I asked Governor Mundo, Marjo O'Brien asked it for me, but the governor, this was just over the weekend about... The state workers. Governor, the next question is for you, for John DePietro. He notes a record number of people have filed unemployment. However, not one state worker has been laid off, furloughed, or taken a pay cut. He asks, how is this fair to the majority of taxpayers? What about part-time lawyers for the General Assembly, which is not even in session? Yeah. So, thank you, John, and I hear you. Uh, listen, through this, I have asked every employer who is in a position to not lay off their employees to do that. And most big companies uh, have not had layoffs. And so I'm trying to follow the same advice. As long as we are in a position to avoid layoffs, I want to try to do that. We may get to a point where layoffs and furloughs are inevitable. In fact, that's 
you know, obviously probable in light of what our deficit is going to look like. But the last thing I want to do is to contribute to the state's unemployment problem and to lay people off. What we are doing is redeploying as many people as possible. I want to just stop it there, Dan McGowan, because she goes on to say, and this is crucial, Governor Armando goes on to say it's going to depend on how flexible union leaders are going to be. And I think that means right away, if there was anyone expecting a raise, Dan McGowan, it's not coming. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, I, the challenge that, that she has is that, uh, you know, a lot of employees who are government employees are not actually state employees, right? They're, they're city employees, right. whether it's Providence, Warwick, wherever. And, I, and you're right. I mean, look, all of these unions, they all work on a contract where typically they are getting some percentage raise every year yes and i think you're gonna i think it, i think it means that you're gonna have uh, uh municipal leaders have to really take a hard line and i think you are gonna have to have the good i mean you could hear you heard in the governor's statement there what, what to you but she kind of paused and she didn't quite go as far as saying you know yeah it's almost certain that we're gonna have layoffs but she she was sort of was leaning in that direction layoffs or furloughs i should say um i, I think they're gonna have uh they're certainly going to have to have negotiations, I think, with, with various uh, uh, unions. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, the idea that you could expect a raise right now, I mean, that's where, it's actually where the municipal leaders and, and the, the state leaders, you, you could gain sort of a leg up, right? Because right now everybody feels bad for employees. You feel bad that people are out of, out of work. If you get into this Mayor Solomon situation where he says, wait a minute, I, I wasn't going to lay anybody off. I just didn't want to have to give you raises. Um, you know, that's where suddenly the public starts to turn, I think, and say, wait, like, you know, we, that, that's, that's insane. And so you, I, I think you will see a lot more. I think we're going to see a lot more about how union negotiations work for the next six months to a year uh, than we have in the past. Well, and not only that, just to bring this back to, you know, just let's look at the way some media companies are being affected by this. The Providence Journal, very high, well-publicized. They've had furloughs where they have to take it. And then the reporters even say, I'm going to be furloughed uh, next week or whatever it's going to be. How about in radio? iHeart Media, iHeart, which has BZ in Boston, has Kiss 108, has RKO in Boston, also in Providence, has HJJ, HJY, uh, B101. They're doing two, they just announced yesterday, each employee, two weeks unpaid vacation, mandatory across the board. So uh, just to, to finish up on this, Dan McGowan, I, I just think this is going to be like real dose of reality for a lot of union workers that are about to start to experience some of the pain. I asked that question over the weekend. We haven't even made it to midweek and the second largest city in the state already, boom, 50 layoffs. Yeah, and by the way, I mean, the more these cities and towns all start to come out with their budgets, right, because usually this company you know, Providence came out with its budget this week, other cities and towns will, will start to, you know, go in that process because the fiscal year starts July 1. I think you're right. I think you are going to see uh, more and more of that. And, and by the way, I think this is going to expand, and it already has, to, to your point about what's happening in the local media, um, you're going, this is going to completely change media in this country um you're going to see a lot of jobs unfortunately not recover um and and i think this is one of the most devastating situations we've seen in a really long time really certainly in my career um uh for local media and by local media of course i mean the, the, the companies you're all thinking of 
Um, hey, Dan, you have, speaking of Providence, no one covers Providence as close as you do. And you have an interesting headline. Providence budget leaves few clues. Lose about $398 million in school funding. But on top of that, uh, it seemed to be some controversy or confusion, I should say, regarding what happened with the budget process. Yeah, I, I, it was a, uh, the only way I could describe it, China, is I, I think I put in the, the story, bizarre, in some ways very goofy. Um, it, it's mo- moderately meaningless in some ways, but basically the city council canceled their, the mayor's budget address last night, or budget submission. Um, and there's just, there's behind the scenes kind of politicking happen about, uh, happening about how you, how the budget is delivered. And uh, to be honest with you, I mean, this is how... Uh, it, it, this is going to sound very silly, but you understand politics really well. It literally comes down to a fight over how the mayor gets to frame his budget versus how the uh, the city council gets to frame it. And the reason why, if you actually go back to this, is last year I just started at the Globe and uh, the, the, the mayor proposed a budget that severely raised taxes on, on, on virtually every resident or, or every homeowner in the city. And the original headline, I believe, in the, in the journal was Mayor Holt's Line on Taxes. And uh, the council was so upset that the city was able to kind of get a, a leg up and win the, the, you know, the, the media fight over this that, that set off months and months of, of battles. Uh, I think this time there's a little bit of kind of showmanship here. Truth is, it doesn't matter. To the broader point, um, I think this is extremely important, John. You, you and I spent, God, what, six months in a row, I feel like, talking about the, 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 the Providence schools. Yes. And, and you've got a situation now where, fine, the state's in control. God bless them. You know, you, you could debate whether it should happen. Clearly something needed to happen. But we're talking between $130 million from the city, the rest coming from the state. We're talking almost $400 million, and we have no clue how that money is going to be spent. Um, it is – that is – deeply concerning. I mean, if you think of anywhere else, to the credit of the governor, she gives her budget in January. Yeah. Now, does the General Assembly take it and take it apart and come up with a new thing? Of course they do. But we at least know the idea of the budget. And here we are, uh, the, 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 the school department says, oh, we're going to put it out late May or early June. That would give taxpayers, people who are actually funding this, you know, a couple of weeks to, dis- to, to, to even, if they care, grasp what kind of money is being spent. Um, that, that's crazy to me, to be honest with you. I, I, I've never seen anything like that. And um, I think the state really should move quicker to, to release some details about the budget. Folks, uh, good afternoon. It's Sean DePietro speaking with Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe. Dan, how's it, go- how's it playing and going over with uh, Mayor Lors' plan to close some city streets for more exercise? Boy, I, I feel like I get <laughs> nonstop emails from, from uh, people about this. It, it, it goes back to the bike lanes last summer, yes. I feel like, where, where people were, were really upset about that. And, and uh, it, this is one of those, those challenges that the mayor has always had where in some ways, you think it, it, it almost, to him, it makes some level of sense. You say, well, we've closed down the parks, but 
we got to give people something to do to be able to go outside. But rather than just say, hey, the governor says we're going to start to reopen the economy, uh, not every place has actually closed their parks, rather than just say, you know what, as of May 8th, we're going to reopen things. Or, by the way, you could do it earlier. Uh, you, just, you have to social distance. You have to just, they, they, they almost get themselves into uh, a whole new line of, you know, a, a policy by, by trying to uh, come up with ideas to, to close the, the certain streets. We have no clue what that's going to mean. And I can tell you, John, I mean, if the city council doesn't want your budget, do you know how the, the, the amount of fighting that city council members will have if, you, if they say, hey, uh, Mount Pleasant Avenue is going to be closed? Uh, they, they'll never allow it. And so I, it just doesn't make a lot of sense, given the fact that we are moving in a direction of, of actually reopening things a little bit. Not only that, but the first thing that stood out to me, Dan McGowan, was I remember interviewing Peter Alvidi back when they were going to redo the Route 10 connector. And at the time, Brett Smiley was even working for Mayor Lorza. And I remember I remember Peter Alvidi of UT saying to me, boy, if those guys had their way, they wouldn't have any cars allowed in downtown Providence, in the city of Providence. They want everyone on bicycles. So when I see something like that of the mayor, I just wonder if some of this is his own personal political beliefs coming in. Because, as you know, he rides his bike from uh, his home to City Hall every day. So I wonder if this is somehow a way to kind of move his own agenda forward under the guise of doing it under the pandemic. You know, it's, it's, it's a reasonable, uh, I'm sure he would dispute the characterization, but what is, what is, but there's no question of is he views the world very differently. He does, than I. yes. And, 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 and I think that is, I think he does believe, I mean, you, you talk to him all the time about, about the bike lanes they have put in, and you say, Mayor, God, you know, you don't see too many people using these things. I'm all over the place in Providence. Yep. Yes, you do see bikes, but not not everywhere. No. And he would, and his argument would be, and his argument is always, well, it's it's the if you build it, they will come right. sort of thing, and so right. it takes some time. But doing this, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I think they they have always liked the idea of more bikes in the city. Um, it's just it's 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 a difficult thing. It's not because we're not a fit city or we're not a young city. It's just a difficult. But you know, the roads are not in great shape. No. The east side is full of hills. Uh, it, it is it's just not a great place to have a biking system. But you're right. I, I think he believes people should bike more, and so that's what he wants. And, and so you know, this is an effort to uh, try to move that forward. I highly doubt they're going to be able to do this in any comprehensive way. I talked to a doctor last night, Dan McGowan, before we move on. He told me, you know, it's actually, it's more dangerous to be on a bike than in a car. And he also said, this is a doctor who's a friend of mine, said uh, by exerting yourself by riding a bike, you tend to then, you're exhaling more, you're out of breath. By doing that, you're actually like putting out and spitting out more, which is more dangerous with the virus right now. So he was saying people are actually, from a medical standpoint, you're actually safer to just be in your own car right now instead of being out on the roadways riding a bike. But that is Mayor well, Lorza. Doc- yeah. You're, I was going to say, your doctor friend would love me because all I do is sit inside and watch Netflix. All the time. <laughs> well, I'm just, but as far as the commuting thing, now, folks, also, uh, Dan McGowan, boy, that, I want to just point out the picture in the Boston Globe, refrigerated trucks parked behind the state medical examiner office in Providence. Uh, Dr. Scott was asked about that at the press briefing, and I'm so glad, number one, she was asked about it, and that picture that appears in the Boston Globe that shows those two trucks. Boy, that just is such a, like, to me, that kind of defines, Dan, uh, exactly the type of time that we're living in right now. Yeah, 
I mean, you couldn't dream up a scenario, right, uh, in, in either of our careers where you would think you would see something like that. You covered nine eleven, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you remember that, but but uh, you, you can't really imagine a scenario where the and, and you know, of course, the state says, "Look, it's you know, we're, it's a precaution. We had to do this." I mean, you look at some of those early projections, and not even early. I mean, what two weeks ago, the governor was telling us potentially, you know, thousands of people were going to be in the yeah. hospital. Uh, um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's it's startling, and, 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 and for it to still be there, you know, you, you do wonder. I mean, all signs seem to be kind of, kind of pointing that we're kind of coming the other side of the curve, and you hope that's the case, but boy, you know, they're, they're not exactly saying everything is all good right at this point. You know, what, what do you, before we move, uh, what do you make of the fact how dramatic the, the numbers are, Dan McGowan. I mean, you're, you're on these briefings each day. We, they were withholding the model. They finally came forward with the model. It was incredibly high. Now, I mean, let's just look at the numbers. I, I don't see, do you see any scenario where they're going to need those 600 beds at the convention center, let alone Lowe's or the situation in Cranston? Um, it, the numbers all seem to be going the other way. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember when I, I went down to Quonset a couple of weeks ago yes. to get a tour of the, the you know, the first, uh, one of the first uh, field hospitals, and I, I asked the question, this was not a, this was a, I believe it was a National Guard guy, I said, hey, is there any scenario where these things won't be used? This wasn't coming from the governor's office or anything. The person looked at me in the eye and said, I don't see how there's any chance that, that all three won't be used. Um, you know, you say you hope, but, but I don't see any chance, and now it, you're right. It looks like we're not going to need that at all. Now, uh, you certainly can understand the argument of better safe than sorry. But yes. For to, to be so far off. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, where we will start to have a conversation again, you'll always be able to say better safe than sorry, but we will start to have a conversation of even if the federal government is paying for, you know, the vast majority of these expenses, um, you, you, there will be a, a legitimate argument to say, boy, if we didn't spend, let's say, ten or twenty million here, imagine what that ten or twenty million could have done for small businesses in the state, or, or right. to save jobs potentially. So, yes, um, you know, I, I think there. I think people will start to probably turn a little bit. I think everybody, for the most part, um, you know, at least understood the initial uh, uh, situation. But you know, what's, what's interesting too is what, what's clear is I, I don't know that anybody. Uh, quite to in, in why would you? But uh, quite took into account sort of what all of these social distancing kind of regulations would mean. I mean, you can't go to beaches, you can't go to parks. You are supposed to be, you know, inside with fewer than five people in your contact. You know, nobody knew if people would actually listen and follow along with that. So yep. I, I think there is some level of the state's done a pretty good job, meaning the residents, not the state. Um, but who knows? I mean, there's going to be there's going to be plenty of, of Monday morning quarterbacking on this for for probably decades. Folks, it's Sean DePietro. We speak with Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe. We're going to let him go in a moment, but there's also a couple other stories in the Boston Globe, and they do focus on Rhode Island. And Dan, this ethics commission dismisses complaint against Ramundo. It's tough to me to look at this and not wonder. I mean, boy, Twin River IGT seems so long ago, plus the fact Twin River isn't even open now. You have a very, very popular governor. I, I know the vote went seven to one and basically dismissed it. But I do you think that maybe there's a chance, just the human element, they look at this and say, boy, this is like small potatoes compared to what the governor has to deal with right now. So, like, let's just let it go. 
it's hard for me to say, you know, for certain, but my, your instincts are my instincts here, right? I think at the end of the day, let's pretend, the, in maybe not the worst case scenario, but in a let's pretend that the governor did do something uh, that was in some ways unethical. This wasn't going to be the end of the career for the governor of Rhode Island. Right. right? She, she might have got slapped with a, a little fine, might have got a, you know, it would have got certainly bad press in, in any normal time, of course, but it would not, this would not have, have changed the world. It wouldn't have changed the fact probably that IGT was going to get this contract. There wasn't going to be a block uh, on anything like that. It, it, it's hard to not believe that there is that chance that you, in the back of your head, if you're making this decision, you say, boy, she probably did something wrong here, but it, it, it's the hard thing when she's handling the, you know, the coronavirus so particularly well. Now, there are plenty of listeners out there that would say that's outrageous and they should do their job. I, I tend to agree, but I, I do think the human element of this probably does get in the way. Uh, and so that's kind of my take. I mean, my sense of this was I always thought it was a little bit of a challenge for the, the Republicans to, to file this complaint because IGT is such a, uh, a, a massive company that, you know, in many ways has had control. Well, not in many ways, has had control of this specific contract for a really long time. So I always thought it was a little bit of a stretch, and then it, but, it, but it made it far more unlikely that she was going to, you know, get jammed up in any way, uh, you know, at the, at the center of the coronavirus. And Dan, at the same time, I don't even know what that does to IGT Twin River. I mean, that whole 20 year contract and everything else. I, I don't even what is the future with Twin River? I, I don't know how, as other people have said, and you, you wrote about it. How do you have a casino with the slot machine? Just as an example, is six feet apart. I, Twin River is what? What did I see? They did fifty million last March, and then this March they did was it ten or eleven million or something? I mean, it's it's so yeah, far I mean, off the mark. Virtually fell off the table. And by the way, we look at. Thank God, March had the first week of, of you know college basketball. Right? Yes. Uh, you know, April is going to be. Uh, and that, that's just sports betting, but I mean, April is going to be literally nothing because you're, you're, you're have an entire month where the casino is closed and there was no, you know, no real sports to bet on. Um, yeah, this is going to be a major challenge. Now, you always can look for IGT and say, you know, the, the lottery money, the Powerball money and the scratch ticket money is still very good. You've got to assume something is going to come back and truthfully, gamblers are going to gamble. But to the story, I mean, I did this story last week and you and I talked about it. I mean, how do you have a, a situation where uh, people can sit next to each other uh, at a slot machine or at a blackjack table, uh, uh, you know, any time in the foreseeable future? I mean, that, that just, it doesn't seem realistic. As, un, as unrealistic as it sounded, let's say, on February 15th, that no, that, that the casinos were going to close and we were all going to be stuck inside, it sounds now even more unrealistic that people are going to actually want to sit together inside a smoky room and, and, you know, touch screens all day. I don't see it. I don't see it happening. A couple other quick stories I just want to touch on just because you've had them. And let's touch on powerful work senator wants to be Rhode Island Supreme Court judge. Now, her father's a great attorney. Uh, I've interviewed him in the past. He represented Governor Depreet uh, and also uh, Pat, Pat Petreet, uh, excuse me, Depreet when going for the pension. But uh, State Senator Aaron uh, Lynch Pratta, where now she would like to be uh, on the Rhode Island Supreme Court. I, I, I also, I don't understand how this doesn't violate the revolving, the revolving door law in Rhode Island. 
Yeah, I mean, that was my instinct when I first heard about this. I sort of got wind of it on Monday at some point that, that this was going to, you know, break. And uh, my, my initial question was the same one that everybody would have, which is, is how, how can you go from being a sitting state senator to uh, potentially go and, and, and become a member of the Supreme Court? The argument is, uh, whether it's legitimate or not, the argument is, is that because the constitutional office, the, the, the Supreme Court, uh, is why you aren't necessarily uh, subject to it. It is, without question, um, a real you know, sort of flagrant disregard for the spirit of the revolving door law, because if you think about it, you're the chairman of the committee that vets the judges. Uh, now, now, she wouldn't, or that confirms at least the judges. Now, she wouldn't obviously confirm herself, but, uh, you know, aside from the, the appearance of it, you know, whether she's qualified or not, th that can be decided by others. Uh, aside from, you know, how, how much it looks kind of bad on the, on the surface, uh, the, the Senate president comes out and essentially endorses her on the same day that she announces it. I mean, boy, talk about... Can, can you imagine if you're another judge who, yeah. or another person who's applying for that Supreme Court well, Since when does the Senate president uh, come out? If she did, if the Speaker also came out uh, for her, boy, she'd be really all the way there. Uh, and so that's a tough look. And I think for a lot of folks who read, I mean, the, the Supreme Court is the Supreme Court's just like the Supreme Court anywhere else. It's the highest job you can have if you want to be a judge here. Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of people who say, wait, how am I, how am I ever going to get a judgeship if, uh, if, if you have to be the chairperson of the Senate Judiciary Committee to make it happen? I know the Senate President, Dominic Ruggiero, I know he felt he was offering his praise for it. But, boy, that certainly got people talking yesterday and a lot of eyes rolled like, wow, boy, the, the ink isn't even dry in this whole thing. And they're all already anointing her. You know, Dan McGowan, you also wrote a great piece that uh, the president of Brown University, Christina Paxson, I think she did, and she deserves a lot of credit for something, and that is she penned an op-ed piece just to begin the discussion. Let's get people thinking and talking about what are the college campuses going to look like in the fall. And, Dan, let's face it, um, you know, Boston is obviously a major college town, but Providence between Brown, RISD, Johnson of Wales, Providence College, you have the Providence campus of uh, Roger Williams, you have Rhode Island College. Uh, Providence is right there, dependent on, you and I both know, if you don't have those J&W kids walking around downtown, downtown Providence is a ghost town. Ghost town, that's right. Yeah, this is, this, I thought this was a fascinating op-ed. I thought that, uh, I, I told this to the, to the president when I talked to her on Monday, uh, it's so interesting to see, depending on kind of what your social media feed looks like, uh, you see very different reactions. I saw people tell, you know, claiming that she was trying to kill students. And oh, then I saw on. other people that, that were, uh, uh, you know, saying, God bless her for, for you know, God bless the, the president of the very liberal Ivy League University, you know, having a realistic economic conversation here. Um, this is important stuff, and, and you're right. It goes well beyond the colleges, but by, but the colleges are in deep, deep trouble. And I think the smaller, you know, these small liberal arts colleges all across New England have real challenges. Not not the same, you know, the, the Ivy Leagues are probably going to be just fine. Um, but the, the thing that, that, that President Paxton, you know, said to me again on Monday about her op-ed was, hey, what, what, exactly what you just said. The, can you imagine... Not having six, seven, ten thousand kids, young people, 
um, in Providence in the fall and in the spring, um, it, it is a dramatic change to the economy of this city. I mean, every weekend, you know, all of the bars and the clubs, just all the money that gets spent, and the youth in, in, in the, you know, kind of, uh, you know, the energy that comes with being Providence. What was the saying? I think it was, was it Buddy that used to say that if, if uh, Providence didn't have Brown, it would be uh, Hartford. Yes. Uh, there, there is some truth to that. Um, and, and, you know, the, the president didn't want to get into that so much, but this is a real, real challenge. It's one that a lot of cities, New Haven's going to have this problem with Yale. Um, and, and I thought she did a good job kind of kicking off a conversation, but, but boy, she's gotten blowback beyond belief uh, for it. Well, but it took courage. It's a conversation that needs to be had. And what I also agree with you on that stands out so much is, let's face it, uh, you know, colleges like Brown and Harvard and Yale with their endowments, they would be fine. But she's talking about, we both know, I mean, I, I don't know what J&W Johnson Oils would look like. Roger Williams is, you know, there's a lot of other smaller colleges and universities. And when you have a state where the governor started to offer the free tuition uh, at, you know, at uh, CCRI that already started to see a dip. Um, you know what else, uh, Dan McGowan? I'll just share with you before we let you go. But I know that a number of students that thought that they would automatically get into URI, say, for example, high school seniors. Well, they find that they're waitlisted because there's a lot of students that now may transfer. Let's just say you go to Syracuse from Rhode Island and you say, well, I'm not paying all that money if it's just going to be in my parents' basement online. I might as well just go to the local university. I I think you're going to see more of that. But uh, she did exactly what we need more educators to do, which is just get the conversation going. Hey, Dan, one last thing. Um, what are you going to be looking for uh, from the governor uh, this afternoon? There's, there's a, a number of things that have certainly popped up this whole uh, – your former colleagues at Channel 12, I thought they've done a good job. I think it, it's caught a lot of people off guard when you hear that someone has you know, left the hospital or been discharged. I, I don't know of anyone that was thinking that meant that someone had died. Um, so that's a problem, and – I think this clarification, uh, the, the boy, the nursing homes, if anyone wondered if there was a problem with the nursing homes in Rhode Island, boy, this has really highlighted the need for guidelines, stricter adherence. This is atrocious, what we're seeing happening with the, the nursing homes in Rhode Island. Yeah, if you were to tell me at the beginning of the week or, or on Sunday when the governor, I think the, on Sunday the governor first disclosed that the uh, the veterans home had its first case and then that, that you know, bubbled up, you, got, you had a bunch more on Monday. If you were, early in the week, if you asked me, I'd have said for certain that the veterans home is going to be the only thing that, that anybody talks about this week because an outbreak there for lots and lots of reasons, you start to compare it to Holyoke, which, you know, was, was, has been a disaster out there in Massachusetts. I would have said that was going to be the number one story, but I think now you're right. I think, she's, I think the governor's going to have to kind of find a way to, uh, you know, walk back some of these discharge numbers because that's a great story by Channel 12. Uh, it, it, the, the idea that they're counting discharge, which we think of as, uh, and, and, and you know this, John, the number one question, one of the number top questions that I get, certainly I'm sure you're getting is, hey, how come we don't know how many people have recovered? And yes. every time we ask that question, one of the things they point to is look at hospital discharges. That's right. You know, and if they were if they were never in the hospital in the first place, chances are, you know, week two goes by, they're probably fine. Look at the discharges. Everything's going, you know, uh, uh, that's how you can say everything is going fine or, or whatever. Now you find out that, that a big 
chunk of those, almost 20% of, of the discharge of death. Yes. Uh, so I think they're going to have to clarify and walk that back. Um, I, I'm sure, it, 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 I, I want to give them somewhat the benefit of the doubt. I'm sure it wasn't the you know, biggest error in the world, but uh, this, that is a major challenge. Uh, I think you're going to continue to hear the governor sort of talk about what, what it's going to take to reopen the economy, and that's going to start to get, you know, it'd be interested to your thoughts on this, John. I mean, it, I think the conversation every single day uh, about here's the one thing we're doing today and here's the announcement we have that we want to reopen. You wonder if it's going to get a little bit old if she needs to have a daily press conference. Um, I'm curious about how that will go because the, the stories that are just, you know, really hoping that May 8th is the day, those things are not quite connecting with readers and listeners and viewers. I think the way the initial, you know, first three or four weeks uh, of press conferences uh, were connecting. I, I agree with you. And on top of that, uh, now that Governor Baker and the Boston Globe has tremendous coverage of this, Governor Baker has moved his deadline back. Governor Mundo is part of that initial Governor Cuomo kind of northeastern pack. She also said she'd be working very intently. Um, I find that people want more specifics than they're getting right now. And if you caught uh, your former colleague, and we both uh, love him and respect him, Ted Nisi's uh, sit down with her, um, what I was kind of thrown is uh, the governor basically said they haven't given a lot of thought if, even if past May 8th, it would start to allow reporters to cover the briefing. Did you catch that? I was very surprised at that. I was, too, in, in, in part because, um, I, I, you know, you and I have talked about this for a couple, of, a couple of weeks now. You know, I have tried my best to look at this from a, a kind of complete perspective, right? I, I understand their argument. I disagree with it, and I, and I, and I think we should be in the room. I thought for sure the easiest thing to do here on camera on a Friday night interview was to say, yep, throw, throw a bone, right? Say, yeah. yes, we're going to have people in, and then none, then you and I are not talking today about right. this, right? Um, it, it sounds like that will not be the case, and that does lead, it's going to lead us to, I think, have to, and I speak for the entire press corps here, we're going to have to get more aggressive about pushing for, uh, pushing for access and the ability to talk to her, because once the, the you know the stay at home order is lifted. I don't think there's any legitimate argument for why uh, she shouldn't take questions from the press. Um, and, and, and so I think that that's on us to really push her pretty hard. Do you notice that there's been a pivot now that it's Dr. Scott that decides it? Uh, when I asked the question on April first, the governor said because my order is no more than five people and I'm not going to volunteer violate my own order but with ted nisi and just the other day she's starting to pivot towards it's dr scott that's decides it but, but dan mcgowan because hummel lasted last week but dan mcgowan yep. what, what just strikes me is i i and and listen i'm like like everyone else i'm trying to be supportive and i know it's not easy for them but it's almost like are they oblivious to the fact that each night we watch the white house where they have you know john carl baker and he's got his people there it's it's as if they're operating in a bubble and are completely unaware that we're watching how other people are doing this, and they're doing it, and they're doing it successfully. Yeah, I, I, well, operating in a bubble is one thing. It's also I, there. There's a, 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 a stunning amount, I think, of um, just stubbornness. Yes, the word. You know, yeah. I, I think. Remember, early on when they when they first made the decision that we're just gonna we're not gonna allow anybody in a room and we're not gonna do that follow up call afterwards. Right. For 
a while, all of us said, hey, why don't you do a follow-up call? I mean, that was not like a, a brand new idea. We asked for weeks and weeks, probably two weeks for a follow-up call. No, no, no. And then finally it takes a letter from every major news outlet in this market to say, hey, you got to do this, where, where she makes the change. It almost takes everybody to kind of get on the same, I hate to say team, but you know what I mean, yes. get on the same page uh, in order to move them because they're they're so convinced that they're doing it the right way. And then I also think they get comfortable with it, yes. right? I think they, they like the ability to, um, you know, pick and choose kind of, not pick and choose the questions, but, but just the ability to, you know, to probably know the questions a little bit ahead of time, things like that. Um, so I think they, I think it's a mixture of, of, of stubbornness, and then they they get they've gotten very comfortable. That and I'll leave it at this uh, before we have you give up roadmap. Um, especially the way that it's done in real time, you really don't have a chance to ask Doctor Scott of something she says because you need to submit immediately when the governor finishes her remarks. So I just wonder if some of this confusion about just the term discharge could have been avoided if the media had more of an opportunity. Because if you don't submit with, as you know, within the first five to 10 seconds, you don't get a question in. So Dr. Scott who and Dr. McDonald, and I respect both of them, they're very effective, but they could say something very significant. But is the only opportunity you would have would be in the follow-up call. You don't have it during the real briefing. And I think you, you understand what I'm saying. You are so right about this. Yeah. It goes back to the thing that I've argued for a long time, which is they're, it, it, these guys are not perfect. It doesn't matter if the governor, the doctors, they, they occasionally, they, they, they say things that they're not intended to be inaccurate, no. but they, you know, they, they, they stretch a little bit. They, you know, they go a little bit beyond what, what, what is accurate. The governor does this a lot with, with various things, but she's not completely familiar with every single issue And the easiest thing to do. I mean, the discharge is a great, is a great, you know, uh, example. Ted Nisi asks the question, says, Hey, wait a minute. Are you, are you sure that's true? They all kind of look around at it. If this is in a room, they would all kind of look it around and say, Hey, we'll get back to you on this. And then they'd come forward with an answer. Instead, this, you know, that they allow this to kind of continue for a long time, and then finally they have to admit they pull it back. Um, and so, so I think you're exactly right, John. Yeah, and it, just lastly, you know, a good example of that also is that whole thing of 60 and over that dragged on for a full day. Yep. They did that to themselves. That's something that if in a press briefing someone could have said, you know, Governor, let's just be really clear. You're saying 60 years old? That could, she, right there, she could have said, you know, the more I hear that when you phrase it like that, I don't mean it like that. But they do that, they kind of do that to themselves. So, again, and I, you know, we recognize what they're trying to do, but I think, uh, you know, Hummel said it was a matter of control. I think they are comfortable. And I, I, I don't know, this whole business of the phases and I don't know how we're going to keep track of this. Is it 10 people allowed? Is it 15 allowed? Is it 12? I mean, I, um, I think we're really, they, it would behoove them. They're good communicators, Dan McGowan. It would behoove them to allow the press more active, uh, more uh, access. But I, I don't. I don't see it. I just don't see it. Well, John, my, my, my last thought on this, John, is, is uh, the thing I've said all along. Look, the governor is a pretty smart woman. Yes. Right? She can handle Dan McGowan and yes. John DePietro yes. and Jim Hummel. You know, she can handle our questions in person. And and so the I, I, this is why I, I, I don't believe it's as much control as it is. Just I think it's the combination of being stubborn and being comfortable. Yes. Um, because I, I don't think that she, you know, thinks we're going to all outsmart her. And, and 
our track record does not suggest that we're going to. It's not a matter of that. Yeah, I agree. Right. And I'll even tell you, you know, I've thought to myself and plan that if they said, okay, we're going to do the briefing at one, we're going to let the reporters in, I would broadcast my show from the State House, and then I would go yeah. in at one o'clock like that. But what you would eliminate is a lot of these people. Uh, I don't know about you, the amount of questions about the Wyatt Detention Center and what's going on there, it's so disproportionate to what the the normal person is focusing on. And again, I, I understand different media, they cover different areas, but to me, that's a perfect example. That is not what the typical Rhode Islander is concerned about and ongoing questions about that. Number one question for me this week from from. from dozens if not hundreds of, of, of emailers is, hey, when they talk about these phases, how long are we talking about? Yes. You know, is it a month or is it six months or is it a year? That's overwhelmingly the question and uh, and while I respect my colleagues who, who ask you know, various questions about various things. I'm not getting any questions about the ACI or, or no. Oh, um, you know, uh, the Wyatt. Yeah. Hey, you know, one last comment on this, and and it did strike a lot of people. Um, and that is that they're actually spending money with Latino media in order to get the message out. And, you know, it shouldn't be lost on the governor's people. Can you imagine if this situation, if Channel 10, Channel 12, your former employer, Channel 6, if they said, guess what? We're not running your daily briefing because they're running it for free. You know, they preempt the programming, right? They don't get paid for that. Um, The governor would have a much more challenging time to reach people. I think they take it for granted. And I think when this thing first started, if this had been a different type of market, you could almost see someone trying to push the envelope saying, this is a negotiation. If you want free airtime for us for an hour, you got to let our people in the room. Uh, That rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. You're going to pay the Latino media, who, by the way, they weren't even running the briefing. You're going to pay them in the three TV stations. And then never mind, you know, I run it. Other radio stations run it for an hour. You you don't make any money there. You give it up because it's important. I, I think it's going far much one way. You just t- touched on the most important thing here. <laughs> Make no mistake about it. Look, everyone's ratings are up. You could, you know, all of our you know, page views and everything are up. Every news outlet is losing money yes. right now. Uh, hand over fist. The television stations are not making any money off of running the governor's press conference at no. 1 or 2.30. Um, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a challenge. I, I understand the idea that, that you had to reach the Latino community. The question that I have, and when I talk to city council members who have, you know, city council president is, is Latina, they are not certain that reaching the media and paying the media to do this is actually the best way of going about it. They think they need to do much more, you know, putting up signs and, and be in the community and, and doing a lot more on social media, quite frankly. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think it does. I, I think it, it raises some some level of questions. I, I understand it, so you give a little bit of a pass, but you're right. It could be a very different situation if Channel 10 was saying, you got to pay us to do this. Yes, 100%. All right, Dan McGowan, how can people enjoy their morning the way I do, starting each day with Roadmap? I appreciate it. If I give five minutes of people's time uh, in the morning, uh, it's wonderful. If you send me a blank email to rinews at globe.com, rinews at globe.com, I'll know what it is. Uh, every single morning during the week, you'll get 
uh, you know, a, a little bit in brand new reporting. Today we had the report about, you know, how the state's budget is, is going to tank. Uh, you get all the best stories from the Globe. There's a great story in the Globe today about uh, what it takes to get into Boston Latin, which is the, you know, premier public school in the country. It has nothing to do with Rhode Island. It's just a fascinating, good story. And then you get the rundown of what, um, you know, of what the, the locals are doing today. What's the... When's the governor's press conference? You know, where's the pre- where's the con- congressional delegation's press conference? So every single day it takes five minutes to read. It's totally free. If you just send an email to rinews at globe.com, blank email, I'll know what it is. And you'll start getting it tomorrow morning. Dan McGowan, great job. Thank you, Dan. We'll talk to you again, and I'll see you this afternoon at the briefing somewhat. Thanks, John. See ya. All right, folks, there it is. He is, uh, I'll tell you, an incredible reporter, very generous with his time, obviously. And it's uh, Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe. Folks, right now it's 1250. Good afternoon, one and all. Here I am. It is Juan. Today is, in fact, uh, this sunny, and I'm so glad to say that. with somewhat sun in and out on this uh, Wednesday. It is April 29th. What a month it has been. Uh, it's nice out, partly cloudy. 59, depending on where you are, 59 degrees, 60 degrees in some parts, uh, maybe a little bit less in others. Hey, I want to remind you that we don't know what uh, the summer holds, but you want to make sure that you're nice and comfortable in your home. That's why you need to call JKL Engineering today. Folks, JKL, 401-351-7600, 401-351-7600, JKL Engineering. They're licensed in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. JKL. Remember, they will, right now, estimates are free and financing is available. Now, as you're going to be inside, and we don't know what it's going to be like over the next couple of months, this is my suggestion for you. Why not at least be, doesn't this make sense that at least you're nice and comfortable in your own home? JKL Engineering, 401 351 7600 401 351 7600 JKL Engineering highest rebates in the market you know for 53 years JKL's reputation second to none especially for technical expertise and customer satisfaction you can depend on JKL call JKL right now listen it's Wednesday why not call them free estimate and at least explore number 1 make it, maybe you have a heating and cooling system let's make sure it's working efficiently But Central Air is a game changer for your home. 401-351-7600, J.K.L. Engineering. Folks, it's John DePietro. Now I'm going to bring you up to speed on all the news of the day. Big local news, obviously, is the situation with the city of Warwick. First city now to announce layoffs. The city of Warwick announcing that they are, in fact, going to be laying off 50 workers. We're going to tell you about that. Governor Mundo press briefing coming up at 2.30, and it's a lot more head right here on the John DePietro Show. Steve, owner of Water Filter Company. Do you know all my customers are not doing today? They're not standing in stall lines waiting to get in to buy more bottled water, and they didn't have to scramble to get it when all this started. They're enjoying all the safe, clean water they want all year long. They're drinking it, cooking with it, bathing in it, doing everything in it except searching for it, rationing it, and not waiting in lines. As this crisis further restricts your freedoms and choices and store shelves empty, I hope you now realize how important it is to take control over your own water quality like thousands of my customers already have. Because when this crisis is over, your bad water quality won't be, and neither will your bottled water dependency. So ask yourself, do you think you're finally worth making a one-time investment for a lifetime of clean, safe water? If so, call my company. Call Water Filter Company at 294-2400. Water Filter Company at Rhode Island 
family business since 1986. Water filter company, 294-2400. Because is it really worth going through all this? The answer is no. Of course it is not, folks. And I'll tell you what else. Uh, I received a message from someone telling me they were having a tough time trying to find propane. Now, I'm not surprised because, as you imagine, folks, now there's certain things that are not getting through. And a lot of people decide, you know, you want to grill outside, try to get some fresh air when you can. That is very vital. That is very, very important. That's one of the reasons. I'll tell you someone who never runs out. He always has it. And that is Johnson Propane. Stop in and see Phil. 904 Manton Avenue in Providence. You can call him at 621-8129. 621-8129. Johnson Propane. 904 Manton Avenue in Providence. Right at the back of Rhode Island College, right in front of Stop and Shop. They're open seven days a week. Propane, propane tanks and supplies, that's where the the, uh, the tanks are filled. There's no germs. All credit cards are accepted seven days a week. You don't have to wait. Drive in, no wait, reduce prices. Johnson Propane. Stop it and see Phil. Terrific. All credit, debit cards accepted seven days a week, nine to seven. Propane filling station. Stop in and see Phil at Johnson Propane. You know, I had the same thing happen to me. I went to two places and they weren't open. So I knew Phil would have it. And I got both tanks filled up. Folks, this is the time you want to stock up on propane over the next several months. You don't want to have to run out. You don't know if there could be a run on propane. I'll tell you who you can go to, and on top of that, he's a big Trump supporter as well, is my friend Phil Johnson. Johnson Propane, 401-621-8129. Pop over and see him. 904 Manton Avenue in Providence, right at the back of Island College, right in front of Stop and Shop. Johnson Propane. He will fill up your uh, your propane tank. Folks, it's John DePietro. Uh, on this Wednesday, and again, uh, very, very disturbing stories uh, regarding the situation in the city of Warwick. That is, uh, I feel bad for some of the union members, unless they all decided to go along with it. But a number, uh, the city of Warwick, second largest city, as you know, was in fact uh, the first one now that they are laying off 50 city workers, and there's going to be more. But what is uh, frightening about it? is the fact the union was still insisting on raises that they were supposed to be getting. Let me be very clear to many people out there. Warwick laying up to 50 city employees. Folks, let me talk some sense into you. If you are a member of a union and they're going to take a vote, and the question is, should we either demand a raise or should we just keep the job we have where you have health care, you have a job, you're being paid, the choice is yours. I, I would strongly implore you to forego the raise instead of being laid off. This is no time to be laid off. And a lot of these city and uh, town jobs, they may never return. There's no guarantee that Warwick will ever have enough money to justify these types of jobs. So, And Mayor Sol- Solomon is way out in front of it. The union declined to forego the raises He said, I thought a compromise was the best solution, but instead, he claims that a number of people, uh, they're going, some union people are getting raises, and then 50 people are going to be laid off. He said, I thought it was fair and equitable. Ask the union forego 2% raise in exchange for job security, continued health care. 
so they could try to balance the budget. There's no there's no uh, guarantee, in fact, that it is going to balance the budget. Layoff affects 1651 Warwick City Employees Union. Now, for now, it's not the police, the fire, the teachers union, but uh, though police and fire dispatchers are in that. But I, I don't see how at some point, I mean, things are so bad that I don't see how some of them are going to be uh, laid off. And where you're also going to see it, the first thing that's going to go is a lot of these overtime budgets that are completely abused, uh, completely taken advantage of, uh, then not in the spirit of the law, they're not how it's designed. And people, frankly, are taking advantage of them. And I think that's going to be the first thing that you're going to see go. All right, folks, the next hour, the power hour is next. Uh, We are going to break for the 1 o'clock news coming up. And then Governor Mundo, her press briefing is not till this afternoon at 2.30. So we still have another hour to go. Hey, I want to remind you on this nice day and over the next couple of days, why not do some spring cleaning and get a dumpster in the driveway with Brothers Disposal? Call them today, 401-688-0517. Look for them on Facebook, Purple and Yellow Brothers Disposal. Get rid of some of those unwanted belongings. Clean out your garage, your basement, your attic. They will deliver a dumpster, boom, right in your driveway, and then you go out and put the stuff right in there. 401-688-0517. Brothers Disposal. Come on, brother. Brothers Disposal. All right, it's John DePietro on this Wednesday. Next hour, we're going to break for the 1 o'clock news. We're going to be back on the other side uh, after that. And then Governor Raimondo press briefing coming up this afternoon at 2.30. So we have a full hour ahead. So we'll get an update with the 12 o'clock news. And I'll tell you more on the other side of everything that's uh, going on right now on this busy news day. And then we'll find out what the governor says at 2.30. Folks, stay tuned. It's uh, the John DePietro Show. It's 1 o'clock.